each other get by. We can help each other get by. Okay, so it goes like this. Let's do it now. Are you ready? Let's get together and work it out. You never know until you try. Let's get together and work it out. We can help each other get by once more. Let's get together and work it out. You never know until you try. Let's get together and work it out. We can help each other get by. We're tired of being shoved to the back of the shelf, forgotten and ignored. We're tired of just sitting and watching TV, seeing things we could never afford. We know all around there are millions like us scattered throughout the land. Through too many years and through too many tears, we've needed each other's head. What do you think we ought to do about that? Let's get together and work it out. You never know until you try. Let's get together and work it out. We can help each other get by. Well, some can't talk, some can't walk, some can't hear or see. Whatever other problems some of us have, a big one is society. It teaches you to concentrate on what is lost, not what we still can do. And when they tangle you up in lots of red tape, you could use some help to cut your way through. What do you think we ought to do about that, huh? Well, let's get together and work it out. You never know until you try. Let's get together and work it out. We can help each other get by. Every day, children are born who need extra help in school. Too many don't get it. They suffer neglect for life and they are branded a fool. No matter how old or young we are, most of us still can learn. And if you've been lucky all of your life, you never know it may be your turn. So let's get together and work it out. You never know until you try. Let's get together and work it out. We can help each other. One more time, so let's get together and work it out. You never know until you try. Let's get together and work it out. We can help each other get by. So let's help each other get by. And let's fix Husky C.
I'm going to apologize for the wind behind me, and I don't mean Sheldon. I'm talking about the wind that's blowing. All right, so may the fourth be with you. I <laughs> and also with you. Hey. All right, so I want to really start off by thanking everybody for coming out today. You could have been doing anything else, but you decided to come out and fight for disability rights. So let's do a quick applaud for that first and foremost. All right. So before we proceed, let me just let you know that I have two co-facilitators here, my co-MC. <laughs> my co-MC here, Mr. Sheldon Tobman. And we have the assistant in chief, resident, uh, what do we say, the MC here. She's gonna be singing, she's gonna be doing it all, Elaine Cole. And if you look around, if you haven't noticed, we have others here who will they're representing the community, so we want to make sure we give them a round of applause. All right, so today we will be talking about the impact of this discrimination, not only on people with disabilities or older adults, but also the black and brown folks, those who are in all the gaps, and how this will help address, got it, I got it. It's just going to be windy. We'll be fine. All right. Okay. So, and now we are doing this to help address health disparities, which we were told everybody cares about. But did you know that about 16% of the Husky Sea population is black, while only 10.5 of the general population? So there's something wrong here. Oh, yeah. There's something wrong. Something wrong. Something wrong. Something My friends. Wrong. The poor people are fed up. The COVID-19 pandemic casts a spotlight on the importance of various safety net systems that America had in place. Medicaid is a prime example. As of late 2022, enrollment in Medicaid chips stood at nearly 19 million people, with more than 19 million new enrollees since early 2020. This enrollment growth, more than 27% in a little of over two and a half years, was initially tied to the widespread job and income losses that affected millions of Americans in the early COVID pandemic. Fortunately, Medicaid was able to step in and provide health coverage when people lost their income. Without that, millions of additional Americans would have joined the ranks of the uninsured. Disability is often incorrectly assumed to be rare. I mean, look around you right now. 
However, global estimates estimate that one in seven adults has some form of disability. Disabled people in the United States are dramatically more likely to live in poverty due to pervasive discrimination and a litany of structural barriers to economic security and upward mobility. According to the United States Census Bureau, in 2019, over 20% of disabled people were considered poor under the Census Supplemental Poverty Measure, compared with just over 10% of people without disabilities. In fact, black and brown disabled people in America face even greater economic disparities and rates of poverty and hardship than white disabled people due to compounding effects of structural as well as cultural ableism and racism. In 2020, one in four disabled black adults in America lived in poverty, while just over one in seven of their white counterparts did so according to the data from the current population survey, annual social economic supplement for 2014 to 2021. Additionally, currently four in 10 disabled people are struggling to afford their rent. And in 2021, nearly 40% of renters with any disability experienced housing insecurity, struggling to pay their rent compared to the national average of 25%. According to the analysis from the United States Census Bureau, Household Pulse Survey for April to December 2021, disabled black and brown renters were especially likely to be housing insecure at 52 to 50% respectively. This analysis also found that about 8.5% of all adults in America in the last nine months of 2021 experienced food insecurity, reporting that they sometimes or often did not have enough food to eat in the past seven days. But among the adults with disabilities, one in five or 21.5% reported food insufficiency. So you see, it's all intersectional. More than three times the rate of their non-disabled counterparts. Also, the analysis found that disabled people are twice as likely to struggle paying their monthly bills as they're experiencing economic hardships across many aspects of their lives, including meeting daily demands of paying their bills. Just over half of adults with disabilities said they had substantial difficulty paying their monthly bills, which is nearly twice the national average of 27%. Challenges have only been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know if you knew this, but it is very expensive to be poor in Connecticut. And that's why we're here. And that's why we need to fix Husky C now. Now, I would like to invite Elaine to share her story because her story and the stories of the black and brown people the story of the elderly and disabled people, our story matters. I move furniture too.
I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm a combination of furious and heartbroken. Some of us have been at this for so long. That's all right. Speak your truth. Speak your truth. We have been struggling, trying to survive in a hostile environment that would rather be dead than to be us. Now, I have a bucket of instruments here. And I want somebody to just pass them around. I'd like most of them back, but I won't cry if I don't get them back. We need to make noise. We need to make noise. We need to do it consistently. We need to do it every day. But we also need to embrace ourselves and embrace each other and lift each other up because at this point it is just exhausting yes. it's exhausting yes. to just try to survive I know how to be thankful I've almost died now several times most people see me as the fighter the singer the you know, confident person. I don't show some parts of me because I know it's dangerous. Here today, I'm going to share some of it. And I invite you to take a deep breath and view yourself as a representative of thousands of our people, all different kinds of people. Because what we need now, over 33 years ago, I was one of the people that demonstrated and got arrested so there would be an Americans with Disabilities Act. And we still have access issues every single day. I had a hard time getting here. Woo! I was working on my chair after midnight last night. I'm one of the people. You see, I've been good as an advocate for others. I've not been good as an advocate for me. All right, can I get a, you know, you don't have to, but raise your hands. You got this issue too. It's a big one in our community, right? Take care of everyone else. Don't take care of yourself. Stop it. It's time to stop it because we have to. Self-care is sacred. It's necessary. It's essential so that we can be here so that we can continue to fight. And this is literally a fight for all living things. And at this point, let me tell you that we, people with disabilities and our friends and family and allies and those that do understand 
We are the greatest hope for the survival of complex life on this planet. It's a fact. And where, how do we get there from here? Disability justice. Do you know what disability justice is? Disability justice is the evolution beyond. Disability rights is great, but it's too legalistic. It's too much about laws and forms and stuff like that, which is important. But disability justice is more essential. Disability justice is interracial, multicultural, intergenerational, intersectional, gender fluid, gender fluid, woo! I came out as a lesbian in 1968, so I've been around for a while. <clears throat> and cross-disability inclusive. Let's get together. That song we sang at the beginning, let's get together. All kinds of people, every kind of people. There's no exclusions in disability justice. In fact, the people that have the greatest needs are the ones that get the most say-so. That's what's fair. That's what's fair. Let's do that. We can do that, but we need to do it together. And that means we need to reach across all the different borders. And also, and this is a little humble pie for me, <clears throat> You know this is hard for me, those of you who know it. <clears throat> I was very ableist before I got literally stabbed in the back, resulting in the spinal cord injury that I now have. And that was over 45 years ago. And I thought I was really cool. I was very progressive. I was anti-racist. I was anti all kinds of stuff and pro this and pro peace and against the war and, you know, all that stuff. I even thought, I thought, well, handicapped people are very nice. I, you know, I like a lot of handicapped people. They should have the same rights as anyone else. I did not know that I was ableist. I had to learn. I know. Ableism is a public health crisis. And I want everyone here to take a deep breath and just settle it inside your soul that you're going to do everything you can to help to fix this husky sea and do things that will help real people survive. We're about survival and opportunity for everyone, including all kinds of people, especially people with disabilities. Thank you. All right, my friends. So, Elaine, if you want to lead us with our chat here, I'm going to say our movement united will never be defeated.
and you're gonna say it back to me. So my, that's my call, that's your response. Ready, Elaine? Yes. Let's go. Our movement, united, will never be defeated. Our movement, united, will never be defeated. Now I know you all had coffee and I know it kind of cold, but we can do a little better than that. <laughs> so play with me, we can do better than that. Listen to what the lady just shared. That was some serious stuff, right? I want you to pull from inside and think about all the people who could not make it here. Because look around you, this building, this process, is not accessible to all. All right, so let's try this again. Let's go, and I just wanna shout out before I move on, my friends from ACLU Smart Justice, thank you for stopping by. Always have love there. So I'm gonna rely on them. Let's put some bass in this thing, ready? Let's go. Our movement, united, will never be defeated. Our Peaches Quinn, Executive Director of the Coalition on Aging. And somebody else, all she did her sign for. I have to thaw out. Great to see you here today. I am Peaches Quinn, Connecticut Coalition on Aging. I am here to say to Governor Lamont and legislators stand up and do the right thing i am here to say to legislative members who are invited to be here today but are not present including those who are present stand up and be our champions husky c discrimination must end this session. It's been going on for years. So many people don't realize what Husky C, what Medicaid services mean to individuals who are trying to stay home and survive and not go into nursing homes. Would you want to be an older adult living just above poverty level who is not eligible for Husky C, not eligible for home services that include personal services, bathing, toileting, cooking, meals, housekeeping, transportation, getting a hearing aid, nothing. Those are not possible without Medicaid, Husky C. How about hearing aids? How about equipment for vision? How about dental equipment? How about cataract surgery so you don't go blind? Not possible without Husky C. Adults on Husky D, to be clear, 
can get those services and have been able to get those services, why not Husky C? What message is that sending to older adults and people with disabilities? Could be worth throwaway. Is that the message? Yes. Is that the message? That's yes. the message. All right. Not throwaways. How about the message? Uh, we like the way you vote, but we don't want you to be equal. Is that the message? Could be the message. How about parity, equity, non-discrimination? Get it off the books, but don't get it off the books for older adults and persons with disabilities. Maybe that's the message. All right, in the name of heroes, current and past, Judy Human, the mother of the Disabilities Act. Edith Prague, Connecticut's own, who worked so hard to champion older adults. Lyndon Johnson and his vision of the Great Society and signing the Older Americans Act. I say to you, on behalf of older adults and persons with disabilities from all over, in unison, in a roar, we say no. Once and for all, let the shameful Medicaid discrimination come tumbling down. Thank you. Uh, folks, we're, we're really lucky to have several legislators here, quite a few, who support yeah. our effort here. Yeah. And we're going to ask them to speak in, in just a moment. But first, um, I think it'd be good to hear from somebody who's right in this box that Peach has just described. So remember, right now, the discrimination is that Husky C, you're eligible up to 1182 a month and you can have $1,600 in savings. That's for elderly people and people with disabilities. Now, if you're not elderly and you're not disabled, you can be at Husky D. Income limit, 1677. No asset limit whatsoever. So it's just obvious there's a direct discrimination. But what is the consequence of that? With us today is Brenda Moore, who lives in New Haven. She is on right now, right now, she is on Husky D. But wait a minute, she's also on Medicare and dis disabled. She's not eligible for that, right? Her income is fifteen twenty-four a month. How can she be on Husky D? The answer is Congress did something during this public health emergency, right? So they passed a law called the Families First Act, and under this, they said that people should be not cut off of Medicaid no matter what during the public health emergency. 
and that has protected millions of people throughout the country. It's been extremely important. But some people were left behind. And one of those people is Brenda Moore. The only reason Brenda right now is on Medicaid, Husky D, getting 39 hours, I think it is, of PCA services a week, is because of a court order. We had to sue to protect some of the people that were supposed to be protected by that federal law. The Trump administration tried to gut it, and we got an injunction, but that injunction is coming to an end. When that injunction ends, which is very soon, what we will have is Brenda with 1524 in income, too high for Husky C, but ineligible for Husky D because she's also on Medicare, and therefore all Medicaid services end, all PCA services end. That's why Brenda's here to come talk to you today. Go, Brenda! Justice for Brenda! everybody. My name is Brenda Moore. I didn't know what my story meant until I got here. I've never seen so many, but I know it's out there. And without us, you see, there's no way that I can live. Yes, I have children. And I have an aide that comes in. And last year, they took me off without even telling me. I had nothing. I have by my bed a stand. I have ravioli, beefaroni, stuff that I can open and eat myself. I can't even heat it up. I have vascular disease. I have mental health issues. I have a heart problem. But this is why I'm here to speak for her and the rest of you as well as me. Yay! We just need them the money so that we can get the help that we need because as I look out here I see people in wheelchairs they can't do that by themselves they can't get in and out by themselves we need the help we need to fight and that's what I'm here for If people can't stay in the community because they can't get the services they need, guess what? They can go into a nursing home. You know how expensive that is for the taxpayers? It's expensive, it's expensive to, to poor in Connecticut. Connecticut. It's expensive to be poor in Connecticut. That's right. And there's a cost to fixing this. We're not going to deny there's a cost to fixing this, right? But should you put a price tag on ending discrimination? No. Should you say, well, we're going to desegregate part, but we can't really afford to desegregate no. all of it? No. So I'd like to now introduce the legislators that are kind enough to, and they're in session today. They're busy. <laughs> so um, I don't know who to introduce first. The chairs of human services. Okay. The chairs of human services. Okay. So, Senator Matt Lesser and Jillian Gilchrist for the co-chairs of Human Services and both have been champions of this issue and they made sure out of Human Services came a bill that did exactly what we want. End the discrimination, don't reduce it, end it between Husky D for non-disabled and disabled. So we're, we're, we're grateful to have them here today. Thank you.
thank you, Sheldon. Thank you all for being here, but more importantly, for educating me on this issue. I, I didn't know going into this session um, about Husky C and about the discrimination that you all face here in this state. Yes. Um, and so, as Sheldon mentioned, along with my co-chair and many um, who are here on the Human Services Committee, we did vote to pass out uh, the changes to Husky C. As you might be aware, uh, the funding wasn't included in the budget, but we have a month left and there's still time to push and we are pushing for that change. Um, today, happens to be, today happens to be IDD Family Day. I don't know if folks are aware of that, um, in addition to this event. And last week I held an event in my town and today at IDD Family Day, we hear over and over about how important it is for those in the IDD community to be able to work and to create that community. And yet we have this barrier for folks who are working because once you hit a certain income, you're not gonna have your healthcare, right, right. Uh, which is just wild. So um, I stand with you, um, I will fight for you, and um, I'll keep working until we end this discrimination in the state of Connecticut. Thank you. That's for the House members, the Senators, we have a slightly different bell. So, yeah. um, my, my, uh, uh, I have in my uh, desk in the Legislative Office Building a plaque that my grandparents were given for their part uh, working for uh, President Franklin Roosevelt uh, back in uh, 1935 in, in helping to set up uh, the Social Security program. And the reason that that's important is because for the first 150 years of our country, if you were old, if you were a person with disabilities, that was a syn synonymous with living in poverty. We as a country just did not take care of, the, of, of seniors. We did not care uh, for people with disabilities. And then in 1935, we made a promise, a commitment, that we would not do that anymore. That we would make sure uh, that we recognize that this is a society where we're all in this together, that we are only as strong as the weakest among us, that we are going to take care of one another. And through a series of bills, through the Older Americans Act, through the Americans with Disabilities Act, the passage of Medicare and Medicaid, we tried to live up to that promise. But it is clear to me that we have a lot more work to do. And I, hearing your stories, hearing stories throughout this session, hearing stories from family members of mine, from neighbors of mine, from constituents of mine, I know how much work we have yet to do. So my hope is, my real hope, is that in the month we have left, at a time of record prosperity in this state, at a time when our state coffers are overflowing like they never have before, at a time when just this week, we discovered we had another $200 million that we didn't even know about. Where does that come from? At a time, it comes from your tax dollars. And at a time, at a time when we have the capacity to end this historic discrimination, to make right this promise that has been out there for almost a hundred years, we have the ability to make good on that promise. The only question is whether or not we have the will. And my hope is that in House Bill 5001, in the state budget, in whatever vehicles we have out there, we make sure that you can have health care 
that you can live and work and be a, a, a find fulfillment in your life however you would like to at any age with any disability so according to your own desires and your own ability but we have that opportunity in this budget it's just a question of whether or not we have the will we got one month to go don't let anyone say we can't do it anybody who oh if we want to spend the money we will spend the money and please that's a the will has to be there in the House of Representatives. It's got to be there in the State Senate. And we need the support of Governor Lamont. Thank you. Thank you. And we're we're going to have a speaker at the end. Kathy Flair is going to talk about the spending cap and why that has to be adjusted to address these needs in a time of record surplus. Um, I'd like to next call uh, Representative Dathan, who's been a real champion as well. Vice Chair of the Human Services Committee, and she is working on that bill that Senator Lesser just referred to, HB 5001. There is a fix in that bill, but it's not good enough. It doesn't end the discrimination. For example, it provides an income cap of 1465. Brenda's income, I believe, is 1524. Not going to do it for you. Right. But, but Representative Dathan's really been working very hard trying to persuade leadership that we have to address this, ultimately that they have to raise this with the governor, yes. and we have to fix this once and for all. First of all, I wanted to say thank you to all the, everyone who's come out today. Without this advocacy that you all are doing, you wouldn't have raised this issue to everyone's you know, knowledge, and your advocacy is so essential. So thank you so much. I'm Lucy Dathan, I represent Norwalk and New Canaan, and we have heard so many stories today about the injustice that folks are having, um, where if you have a certain income level of 130% of the federal poverty level, but you're not disabled or you're not elderly, you are able to get uh, benefits under Husky. But if you are disabled, you can't. You have to be 97%. <laughs> I, we all understand how difficult it is to live not just in Connecticut but anywhere in America on 97 percent. How are you possibly able to save up for an emergency? How are you possibly able to save up for rent deposit if you decide to move your place? You can't. What about if you want to save up to buy a car? You can't. You can't. And you pay for repairs and all these things. And then there's also the issue of the things that Medicare doesn't cover. Yeah. I was astounded when I was learning that, you know, there are certain things like vision, um, dental. These are essential part of health care. These things are determine our overall state of health. They can also find things early. If you get a dental exam and they say, oh, okay, you've got an issue, you might find some preventative um, issue that you can treat earlier. And we all know that that does save money. Um, I think the hardest thing was also learning about the medical equipment that folks need. Yeah. Those things are not covered under Medicare. So this is essential that we look at these things and we make sure that we are able to create parity. We do so much in this building around justice, equality, and, and uh, parity for all. And I do believe that we need to fix Husky C. So thank you again for your advocacy.
Um, you know, somebody said in the beginning about how so many of us have disabilities. Some of them are hidden. And um, disability affects everybody, and it could be anybody. So we have legislators here, and we have legislators who have disabilities. Hey! I'd like to introduce one of them who's supporting us here, Sarah Kitt. Thank you, everybody. Um, my name's Sarah Kitt. I'm a freshman legislator representing parts of Fairfield and Trumbull, and I am one of you. I've been living with a disability for over 30 years. Uh, I suffer from both multiple sclerosis and Crohn's and colitis, which has affected my health, my productivity, my ability to work for the last 30 years. And we need to end the discrimination now. Our, the Availability of comprehensive health care and support is essential for maintaining our health and our well-being. And people like us have so much to give, and we should not be faced with those income limits. If it weren't for a very progressive employer back in 2000, I would have been unemployed for most of my single life and would have had no health insurance. Um, it's I cruel what they do. It is. it is. And cruel. I credit being able to stay in the workplace with accommodations, with me being able to maintain my cognitive and my physical health, and being able to continue to contribute to my community. One of the reasons I ran for office is because over the last few years, especially during the pandemic, I saw people like us being left behind. Right. So I. Thank you. So I'm here to give us all a voice and to fight for what all of us need. And quite honestly, everybody is going to face illness or disability at some time in their life. So this is really an issue that affects all of us. So I want to thank all of you who came out here today. I know some of us have more challenges than others getting up here. And I see that challenge and I honor it, and I am here if you ever need anything, and I will be right there by your side for this fight. So thank you all. Thank you, Representative Kitt, we, we appreciate it. And um, Representative Hughes? Sure. Representative Ann Hughes? I believe you chair the Progressive Caucus. chair the Progressive Caucus. Hey, you know hey. what? Husky C is an antiquated, leftover, a paternalistic view of people with disabilities and aging as if they should be poor if they are getting durable medical equipment and essential health care and this discriminates against people working at the top of their professional capacity and mandates that they work to for scraps and that's the that's the ridiculous antiquated policy of discrimination that we must end because everyone can be a contributing member of society. Everyone has uh, something that they are talented and gifted in and if they can earn money for, they are, there ought to be no cap on what they can earn uh, doing their work, right. their gifts right. in this community. And yet you still must have the, the essential health care that you need and that is not a burden on us that is our mutual responsibility to each other and i am here i am here for all of it <laughs> i am here to help lift uh that cap because it is long overdue
Thank you, Representative Representative Johnson, Susan Johnson. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the whole budget thing in the government, huh? Sure. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, Sheldon. Thank you all for being here today. This is wonderful. Yeah. This is what we need to change everybody and have everybody understand the spider web of, of laws that we have that governs the Medicaid program and the Medicare program and the private health insurance industry. It's all a big spider web to keep people from actually benefiting from the programs that are really out there. And that's why I am thrilled that this is organized today. And I have to say I'm thrilled that I have great co-chairs of human services and wonderful people that I'm working with to try and fix this. You know, a lot of people don't understand all the things and all the difficulties with the Medicaid program. And so that is why we need to make sure all the programs under Medicaid are all aligned, the same kind of uh, benefits all the way through. We don't want to have a little bit here, a little bit there. That's ridiculous. And it's just a spider web of laws that keeps you from getting qualified for the things that you need. So one of the things that we need to do, and that we'll be talking about later, is we need to make sure that we understand what the spending cap is. It's a way to keep people in poverty. It's a way to discriminate against minorities. It's a way to keep our low-income communities low-income. Because, oh, we, were, we ran out of money. We can't do that. Notice there is no cap on tax credits. Huh? And our tax credits expenditures too. Our Connecticut State Supreme Court said so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we have to stop and think about what the spending cap is. The spending cap is a way to limit access to resources for low-income communities. It's a way to limit resources for special education students who if they have the right special education, maybe when they got out of school, they wouldn't have the disabilities that they are graduated with. Maybe they'd be able to fix some of those things. So we need to make sure we understand how the spending cap holds us back. It really does. It's really not good at all for people with low incomes. And it was created in 1992 with uh, Governor Weicker. And Governor Weicker said, Oh, well, here we go. We're going to say, okay, folks, we're going to give you a, a state income tax. And at the same time, we're going to say to the rich people, oh, we're going to get rid of the capital gains uh, tax for short-term capital gains. We're going to reduce it from 15% to 4%. Okay, that's what they did. That's what we've been living with. And by the way, we can actually exclude our distressed municipalities we can exclude different things. The legislature has the authority under the constitutional spending cap to create a law and define what goes in it and what goes out of it. If we were able to put things out of it, like distressed municipalities, then what we can do, and we can do this by statute, what we can do is have almost a billion dollars under the cap for all the other things. Yeah. So let's keep fighting. Let's keep understanding what the spending cap is because it's really convoluted and very, very complicated, as is the Medicaid law, as is the Medicare law, as is private insurance. And then, of course, you've got all the different types of private insurance. But we need to try and make sure we work together and make sure we develop groups all throughout the state to make sure we take care of Husky C. Make sure we take care of low-income populations. Yes. Make sure we put our whole state back on the right path. Thank you so much for this. Glad to see you all here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Representative Johnson.
we really, all, all the legislators that are here today are all champions of folks with disabilities. We yes, really yes. appreciate your being here today, you. what you've done. The last legislator I'm going to introduce is Mike D'Amico, and Mike has been really a supporter of people with all kinds of disabilities, and particularly what I know about, he's been helping with regard to the issue of access to diagnostic medical equipment for people with disabilities, physical disabilities, who can't actually get an MRI. Can't get a CAT scan. Can't even get a basic exam because there isn't, can't get weighed because there isn't accessible equipment. Can't get up on the exam table. Can't get into the cabinet. Mike D'Amico has been, been a champion on this and also on an issue of real importance to anybody who uses a wheelchair. You can't get the things fixed. And that's because there's a real problem with access from the two companies that now corner the market. Anyway, not to go into those issues, but Representative D'Amico has been very helpful on these. Representative D'Amico. Thanks, Sheldon, and thanks to all of you for being here. So I could not possibly improve on Representative Johnson's uh, barn burner of a speech from a minute ago. I won't even try. Uh, I, I will just tell you, just to follow up on Representative Johnson, uh, all the legislators that were here today that, that, that spoke to you previously, they all know what the problem is with Husky C and many other things, but Husky C in particular. You all know what the problem is with Husky C. You're, you're, you're quite well... You understand it quite well. You live it every day. You live the problems every day. You understand how unfair it is. What I want to tell you is there are many, many, many good colleagues of mine in the legislature, senators and representatives back there, who want to do the right thing but need information and they need encouragement from you to do the right thing. They, they need to know what the problem is specifically and they need to know that you're going to have their back. So what you need to do, uh, this is my suggestion to you, what we're doing here today is great. What you need to do is take it one step further. Yes. Call your yes. legislators, yes. write yes. your legislators, yes. tell them about the unfairness of the Husky C situation. Let them know what the problem is and, and implore them to fix it yes. and to fix it now. Yes. They are good people, they want to do the right thing, but they need a little motivation, they need a little knowledge, and they need encouragement from you. So give them that encouragement, and, and, and with God's help, we will get positive results this year on this issue. So keep it up. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. There was an additional legislator here, but he was hiding. He was like holding the pole, taking pictures. Representative David Michel, thank you very much for joining us. All right, I'm shy, but okay, I'll speak. But I wanted to say that no matter what committees committees we are on, our committees of cognizance, like I'm not in public health, I'm not in human services, but I do introduce bills, or I do help 
colleagues with other bills that are in those committees. So it's not only the legislators in those committees, but reach out to all the legislators. So when Mike was saying, Mike is, and everybody here that was, that's been here are amazing legislators. I, I got to tell you, Mike is one of my heroes. He really is. He's one of the genuine ones. No, no. And I was thinking of a short chant, just to end this. Something really short, you know, Husky C, fix it, right? So we could just say, Husky C, and then you say, fix it. Can we try that? Husky C. Husky C. Husky C. What do we want? Husky C. When? Bam. <laughs> and by the way, all of this work can never happen without the advocates, without you. Language is not necessarily written by legislators. It's written by lawyers who are taking language brought to us by the real heroes, those who do the work, like Harley, like Ruth, like you, like all of you guys, all of you. We can't do this without you. So keep talking, keep your voice loud. Before he decides to run away, I just want to give him a shout out from the New Haven Climate Change Movement. This gentleman right here has been doing a lot of work for climate change. And for those of us who have access, you know, limitations, that's particularly important because we get forgotten. But he remembers. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Again, I think there's some people don't necessarily all the connections, right? Housing, healthcare, food access, climate change. It's all the things that we all should be fighting all together. That's all right. the unions, all the advocacy groups, everybody, right, Holly? How we gathered other people to work all together. That's how we achieve great things here because we're kind of short of great things here. The people united will never be defeated. 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 All right, next, Sandy Roberts. You've got to come join us. Sandy, Sandy works at the Center for Disability Rights and also happens to have a disability herself. And then it dawned on me, if I retire, 
I'm going to lose my Medicaid. Because yeah. I'm currently over income. Because basically, with the PCA waiver, the income limit is about 2000 and my Social Security disability is a little bit over that. And hopefully, there will still continue to be some cost of living increases. But basically, it means I'm going to lose my Medicaid. Yeah. Which will then force me to be into a nursing home um, because of all the care that I need. So it, it's kind of scary to me because I don't want to have to work literally till I'm like 80 or something. If I live that long, hopefully for a while yet. <laughs> but I, I may be living in a nursing home and that's the actual picture that I'm facing. I won't be able to get the equipment that I need, the care that I need. Um, and sometimes you want to save money for unexpected expenditures. And right now with just 1600, it, it's not, not realistically, I mean, to fix a furnace could be like $3,000 yeah. or something, you know? So they really have to think about these things because basically you're forcing people back into nursing homes. Thank you for listening today. And I also want to include in this, I work at the Center for Disability Rights. Every day, I get calls from people saying, I need medical transportation. People don't realize that maybe they can get on a Medicare savings plan, so they're trying to pay out of pocket for prescriptions. And literally, people are going hungry. They're getting evicted from their housing. So we really need to think about these things because it's making life worse, not better, for people with disabilities and our senior citizens who have served our communities many years, who fought for our country, and now they're literally facing homelessness. So please think about this. Thank you. Thank you. What do we want? What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. Now, next, we're going to have Rick Famiglietti, who also works at the Center for Disability Rights. I'm pissed off. I worked my ass off. And I'm still working my ass off. Look how skinny it is. In 1985, I was in a motorcycle accident. Back then, I was a tool and die maker. I broke my neck, resulted in quadriplegia. In 1990, the Bureau of Rehabilitation Services paid for my education, modified a van, and got an associate's degree in mechanical engineering. I soon discovered I couldn't afford to go to work because I'd lose Medicaid. Back then, the income uh, limit was, I don't know, like 700 bucks. So I was on a, with a $900 a month income, I was on a $300 a month spend down. Right now I'm broken down, I'm hurting, and I doubt I can work much longer. I will soon be a victim of discrimination by having to spend down my savings, down to $1,600, just to remain eligible for husky I will lose that opportunity to keep an income of $75,000 a year, which I'm nowhere near. 
Without the increases specified in House Bill 6630, this will be my retirement plan. When I cannot work no more, I'll have to spend down to 1970-something income and asset limits. Then I will claim bankruptcy, lose my home, and due to affordability, just like Sandy, I'm going to choose to go into a nursing home and cost the state of Connecticut $8,000 a month, just for spite. Why is it that able-bodied people can access Husky D with no asset limit? When people with disabilities who have such higher expenses, I gotta maintain my ramp, my lift, and everything else, but I have to have an income limit and an asset limit. That's ridiculously too low. So, why does Connecticut punish people with disabilities who have been working in spite of their disability, and now I have to lose all the things that I see? You know something? I'll tell you why. They don't give a shit. There's a three-inch crack in the ramp over here in front of the Capitol building. Me going down, it almost got stuck in it and fell head over heels on my face. That's how Connecticut treats people with disabilities. It's time to value us for what you see. House Bill 5001 falls short, although it was in good intention. We need it to match Husky. Husky C needs to match the asset and income limits of the MedConnect so that people who are on it don't have to lose everything they earn for. Governor Lamont, you want to cut taxes? Well, let's not do that. Let's change and fix the spending cap. I don't completely understand it, but it seems to me that's the issue and the problem. Remove it, or cut taxes somewhere else. Or cut one of your favorite programs. Fix Husky C, goddammit. Alright, here we go. Oh, big box of bricks. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> Alright, so you're gonna repeat what I say. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Discrimination has to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Discrimination has to go. Jordan Fairchild, Executive yeah. Director, Keep the Promise Coalition. My name is Jordan Fairchild, and I'm the Director of Keep the Promise Coalition. And the key word in that is promise. In the year 2000, the state of Connecticut made a promise that it would finally invest in mental health services and supports that are person-centered, and based in the community. It made many more promises to the broader disability community, and it broke those promises. 23 years later, that's why we have to stand here today demanding that they finally fix Husky C. Husky C provides people with the necessary and life-saving coverage which helps them stay at home and avoid the costly and traumatizing institutional settings that segregate them from their communities. The income and asset limits were set in the 1970s. They forced people to live in poverty just to get essential coverage. 
We're here today because in 50 years, these income and asset limits have not been fixed. What does it say that when the state has had 50 years to fix this, it still won't do it? This is discrimination against people with disabilities, plain and simple. I sat down for dinner last night with my friend Karen Healy, who has had to deal with these income and asset limits personally. She knows what it means to be able to live in the community and to be able to be outside of an institutional setting. She couldn't be here today, but she asked me to share with you all of these questions. How would you feel if you or your family had a disability and needed Husky C? How is anyone supposed to recover from a mental health condition or live a healthy life in the community if they don't have the necessary coverage for services that let them stay in the community. Anyone in that building who thinks that the spending cap is more important than ending discrimination needs to ask them th themselves those questions. No one can claim that they've inherited this problem anymore when the opportunity is right in front of us to fix it. A budget is a moral document, and Connecticut has a massive budget surplus. If not now, when? There's no excuse, whether this, it's the spending cap or something else, that justifies continuing this discrimination. This is wrong. We have the money to fix it. People with disabilities and older adults have already waited 50 years for the legislature to fix this and we've waited even longer for the promise of, each, of a truly community-based system of services and supports. Too many people have already died waiting. Too many people have suffered the traumas of institutionalization and financial hardship due to these poverty-level income and asset limits. We can't wait any longer. It's time for Connecticut to keep its promises and invest in community integration, starting with Husky C and funding the essential services that it covers. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Right on. Yeah. Hey, hey, ho, ho, discrimination has to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, discrimination has to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, discrimination has to go. Okay, so what is this spending cap that everybody's talking about? Yeah. Why is it a problem? We don't know. We have <laughs> Kathy Flaherty from CLRP to tell us all about it. I am the person in between you and being warm, so I will keep this very short, especially since Representative Johnson did such a great job explaining what the problem of the spending cap is. For so many years, a lot of us actually thought this was a revenue problem because they weren't bringing in enough money and we were saying, hmm, and nobody wants to raise taxes or fees. It turns out it's actually not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem. It's a cap problem because the law, the rules require, as they are now, doesn't mean that's the way they have to stay, that they can only raise the spending a certain amount a year and they're not allowed to go over that. Who came up with that rule? And the rule actually says that it's you limit it to the greater of either inflation 
or the growth in personal income. Then why, for example, are nonprofits only going up 1% when costs are going up 7 or 9? And we were underfunded for years. They told us for years and years and years, almost the whole time I've been executive director at Connecticut Legal Rights Project, oh, we have to cut your funding because we can't afford to fund you. You'll have to lay off staff because we're cutting your budget. And we said, okay, because we didn't have a choice, because our contracts contain the words within available appropriations. And if they don't appropriate the money, we don't get the money, which means people don't get the services. The folks in that building need to change what they're doing. We need to have their back. We need to tell them, we have expectations for you. You've made promises to us over and over and over again. We are not going to let you break those promises again because of these fiscal guardrails. Fix the guardrails. They passed that bill, E-certified, at the beginning of the session. They did not have a public hearing. It's because they knew if they had a public hearing, we would have all turned out at it, and they would not have been able to do that under the cover of night, which is what they did. They did it in secret. So we have to use our collective power to demand that the folks in this building do what our folks need. We need to fix Husky C. We need to fix it now. What do we want? Fix Husky C. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Fix Husky C. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Fix Husky C. When do we want it? Now. So we have come up. We got a, a little handout that we're going to give to everybody. A call to action. You're going to call Governor Lamont. You're going to call the Senate Democrats. You're going to call the House Democrats. You're going to call the Senate Republicans. And you're going to call the House Republicans. And you're going to tell them, fix Husky C and fix it now, and we will have your back. With the implication that if you don't fix it, we might not. Thank you, Kathy. So guess what? When we're over, pretty much, and some of us are going to go over and speak to Senator Looney, who's the leader of the Senate. So, <laughs> but, but wait, wait, wait. But w w before we close, we're, we are very fortunate that Elaine, who led us in song in the beginning, is going to take us out with a, a rendition that we're going to all join in about Medicaid Matters. Okay, everybody. Okay, I want my. Okay, we're going to sing. Okay, listen, this is the deal. Medicaid matters, right? I, I even have the t shirt. The t-shirt says, My Medicaid Matters. So it goes like this. My Medicaid Matters. Your Medicaid Matters. Our Medicaid Matters. It's life 
or death for me and you and us. Is that the truth? My Medicaid matters. Your Medicaid matters. Our Medicaid matters. It's life or death for me and you and us. My Medicaid matters. Your Medicaid matters. Our Medicaid matters. Life or death for me and you and us. Now this is a zipper song. So I'll give you the first line. You do it three times. And then the last line is, with Husky C, we've got a chance to live. Let's try it. <clears throat> with Medicaid, I can get the medicine I need. With Medicaid, I can get the medicine I need. With Medicaid, I can get the medicine I need. Husky C, we've got a chance to live. With Husky C, you see, we got a chance to live. Oh, yeah. My Medicaid matters, your Medicaid matters, our Medicaid matters, life or death for me and you and us. With personal assistance, I can live at home. 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 With Medicaid, we got a chance to live. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. But my Medicaid matters. Your Medicaid matters. Our Medicaid matters. It's life or death for me and you and us. And we need to get this message in there that this is not like a dried thing. This is not just a little legal something. This is literally life and death for our people. This can save lives. We can end suffering and give people a chance to live in the community with dignity and pride. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. We'll have you on the tech team when we have our non-existent conversation. Which one? Which one? Oh, okay. I think Kathy.
had a teacher up and I had a blanket or something. I give you my jacket, Mom. No, I come on. Go be here.